as we listen for your word to us this morning, your spirit of love will invest themselves in our hearts so that we can respond to those who need love now. Amen. Well, it's nice to deliver a sermon again, but uh, for those who haven't understood, I've had a bit of Parkinson's and my voice has now been retrained. So it's nice to be able to preach again this morning. And those on the desk will make certain that I'm heard and uh, dial me up accordingly. But thank you, Glenn, for trusting me enough and my advisors that uh, it would be a good thing if this preparation in Advent could include four sermons, and I only had to do one. <laughs> so you've had one from Glenn and Louise, and Anne Priestley will finish the series later on. So it's a great joy to share with you this morning. Last week, for those who were here, you remember that Glenn and the children reignited for us the message of hope for a world where the future of everything is now a challenge. I hear these sort of questions as I move around among people today. Can we clear the hateful violent virus from our world? Is it possible to get rid of this infection? Can we rebuild international trade and travel so the world can work again and meet again in harmony? Can we bring hope and healing to the sick and dying populations of the world? They are great, challenging questions. And we ought to work at finding an answer. One of the things that I said earlier this year was, President Trump doesn't always tell the truth. And I thought it was fake news about three months back when he said we'd have a vaccine by Christmas. Do you remember that? We will have, we can, we must. And he has. And I have to eat humble pie and say, maybe God, they're listening to you for a change. Because it's not the vaccine that gives me joy, it's the fact that the world got together to make the vaccine. And there's an example in Russia, and there's an example in London, and there's an example in the States, and there's an example where we don't even know yet. So maybe in your prayers you might confess with me that we don't always trust the people who might have some inside information. But for Christians, we go on witnessing to the power that, of God's Spirit working through us and so, at the end of the question, we can give the answer. And the answer is, yes, we can do something. Yes, we must do something. Yes, our God is big enough to empower us to do something. Only if we work together. Only if we listen to our neighbor. And only if we offer ourselves to be part of the answer. Because our faith in God must be matched by a care and a compassion 
which uses the power of God to make a neighbor our friend. So today let's focus our thoughts on God's action in love to save humanity. And it's the message we've got to keep alive because each Christmas we can say God's compassion was stirred, God's love was revealed when God in Christ became one with us, one with us, fully human. And in doing so, we can recreate a world so that love is made visible for all to see. God is love in action. My favorite uh, New Testament passage which uh, highlights this is from, from Jesus' parable which is recorded in Luke chapter 10. It's a parable that you know as the Good Samaritan. And I want to look at it closely today because it really should be called the parable of love in action and the difficulties thereof. It's a story of hope. It's a parable of compassion. It's an encouragement towards team building. And it's a new insight into how we might live together in harmony even though we are very diverse people. And I think you probably know the parable well enough, but underneath the surface, you need to know some more things that bring out the challenges in this parable for us today. Now, in the story that Jesus told, there is an unlucky traveler and the way that the paragraph is written shows that he's coming from Jerusalem along the road to Jericho. And if you've been in that route, you'll know it looks and is one of the most dangerous routes that you could find. In the, the top area near the, red, the Dead Sea, there actually is a road that runs as a ravine between high mountains with rocks all about. It's like an ambush area. And all those who traveled it did with trepidation. So it wasn't a road that was used by too many people. It was a road that people took as the shortcut to get home to Jericho. But the person who comes on this road in Jesus' talk experiences something that is common of the day and common to our day in a world of sinners. And it points to the violence and the corruption that can be carried out by human beings. It's not an easy story to hear because we know that people are still murdered and mugged and treated in remote parts of New Zealand on roads that are very lonely. Now this man, in the parable, was visiting Jerusalem to carry out his religious obligations. In the temple, he probably learned to sing another part of a psalm, and maybe he was humming it as a psalm of love and protection on his journey. 
And he also had been in the temple before he left for home and said his prayers for protection and for homecoming. But then on the road itself, disaster struck. The worst of human behavior left this man half dead. The robbers had grabbed his money belt, they'd stolen his cloak, they'd knocked him unconscious so that he couldn't cry out for help, and they left him half dead so that they wouldn't be charged with breaching the commandment, do not kill. So they felt that they could do what they like as long as it was within the detail of the commandments. The man may well have died because of the loneliness of the road. But we are told that by chance there were others on the road that day. That line, by chance, challenges me quite a lot. Does it mean that God is remote and everything is a fluke? If you win lotto, then you can say, I'm a lucky person? Or does it mean that things just happen and you've got to respond to them with the grace and love of God? By chance you're here this morning. And by chance you might hear the word of God. Now the first of the other travelers along the road was a priest. And he was traveling the other way traveling towards Jerusalem on his way from his home in Beth in Jericho. And he was going there because he was a priest and had duties to do. They were to lead the prayers, to offer the sacrifices, and collect the money paid as dues in the temple. And to do this job as a priest, he had to be in a state of holiness. And he also couldn't be late. Otherwise, the people got very cross that they couldn't keep their timetable. So we didn't have priests who maybe got there today or tomorrow. They got there on time to do their duty for their people. And because he couldn't be late, and because he couldn't be unclean, when this man saw the poor man who's in the ditch he realized that he was in a terrible state there was blood everywhere and he didn't have any covering over him and that was a decision now as to whether the priest could be involved if he touched the man who may be dead he would immediately be impure and therefore he was unable to serve as a priest in the temple so the decision that the priest made was to keep his distance, even though he knew what had happened. And he crossed over the road and hurried on his way to do his duties in Jerusalem. And he probably was saying, loving God is more important than loving your neighbor. So he was righteous but not loving. Fortunately, this is where the hope comes in, 
there seems to be somebody else who could go on the road and solve the issue and help out the poor man half dead. And it was a Levite. And he too was going to Jerusalem to carry out his duties, which were in the temple. And he had all the difficult, dirty jobs to do. He had to keep the temple clean and tidy. He had to light the candles. He had to stack the wood. He had to put the burnt sacrifices out and act as security guard. A long list of difficult tasks. And you'd think, surely this man knew what to do with rubbish and people who were badly hurt. At least he could make the place tidy. But uh, the Levite looked at what the priest had done because he was always told to obey the priest and what they did and said, if he crossed the road, I must cross the road and not get involved. But the parable goes on and says, there's still hope. There's another person traveling on the road, but quite a bit back because he keeps his distance so he didn't have to upset the others on the road who were mostly Jews. And he was a Samaritan. And he was wealthy. And he was like a Boy Scout, always prepared. Because he had a horse and because he had a first aid kit. What was in his first aid kit? Oil and wine that he poured into the wounds of the half-dead man. For longer care, he decided he must take the wounded man back on the horse to the inn where he always stayed. And when he thought about it, he wondered what reception he would get as a Samaritan with touching a Jew. For that was forbidden by both sides. No one would call the other a neighbor. They would be a rival or a false believer. But somehow the Samaritan was stirred with compassion, that special gift given to us by God, and did his work, first aid, helped by the horse, which now had two people to get there, and made more aware of the commonality of humanity. So he looked after the half-dead man all day, hoping that he would be able to go on his way the next day. But the Samaritan had to get up early to finish his business. So he said, I'll have to pay the innkeeper another couple of days of work wages in order that he might be better before he has to travel. So, here we have a new love team. 
an innkeeper who normally says we don't do anything for the people on the road it's their job if they get in a mess innkeepers don't get involved they just hope people will come pay them wages and go on their way again so the love team has another way we will ask others to be involved with us in doing what is the loving thing with the spirit of Christ's love so the Samaritan got out his wallet put down the deposit and said I must be on my way the innkeeper went took the money and got the man who was yesterday half dead but today is half alive and imagine how they said goodbye the man who was now half alive said to the Samaritan never my neighbor thank you for caring for me you have made me into a new person and I see things differently and the innkeeper said to the Samaritan I will do it even though I normally don't get involved and I thank you for the money that you put down and trust you even if you are a Samaritan businessman to pay me back if anything more is due and the Samaritan got on his horse and said thank you God how many gods are there or are we all thanking the same God whether Jew or Samaritan so the view of who is my neighbor is turned totally upside down and the people involved feel either challenged or embarrassed what should they have done what could they have done and what would be the result of what they've done so as I finish the challenges to us what and how are we going to put love into action this Christmas and I would say the first thing you need if you're going to find that out how you will fulfill that is the need to see the Samaritan saw somebody in need and he could do something about it the priest and the Levite said they didn't want to look anymore didn't like what they saw shut their eyes and went down the road on the other side so we got to see the need and then we've got to put into action the spirit of love and it'll be often a practical response like the first aid kit being used by the Samaritan and it will also probably be a costly involvement the Samaritan opened his wallet and generously put down 
the way in which this man could be cared for. The miracle of change of heart, though, will take time. And that's shown by the time it took to heal the man who was left half dead. But see in Jesus' words that this is a parable of hope. There are more people on the road like you than even the five people in the parable. The board says there are now over a hundred adults sitting with us and 15 or so children and young people. What difference will that number make if they put love into action this Christmas? Is it a tale of hope or is it a tale of woe? You will make the difference. And that's part of your Christmas duty is to make a difference and to involve others and to share what you know with those who need to hear a gospel message. So that's my sermon. Now two seconds, Vicar, on my story. Last week, when I was here with Rosemary, Mari Taylor came to the door over there with a bundle under her arms of the Anglican. Who's read the Anglican? Oh, quite a number of you. So I looked down and I thought, I don't think I've read that volume, so thank you very much, Mari. And she reached out towards me and said, here you are. And in my fumbles, I didn't take the magazine cleanly. And out dropped a brochure. And it landed so that you could read it. Cataracts have blinded Ovid. But now he can see because the doctors for $35 New Zealand have given him two new cataract free eyes. And I thought, bother it. Rosemary's just had a cataract operation two days ago. Obed could have a new life if he had $35. And I thought, I don't want to be involved in it anymore. I give to this and that and the other. And the little voice said, you can't cross the road. You're here. And here's your chance. By chance it fell out. By God's love I can respond. I've signed up with Rosemary for $50. And may God make that ripple so that many more may see and live. What's your cataract story? What's your cataract future? Can you see? And can you act in love? Thank you, God, that by chance... It fell out that way up.